Welcome to the first edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host. Each week, I'll interview a different leader on the topic of calling. My goal is simple, to help you understand the biblical perspective on calling and to help you gain more clarity on your unique sweet spot of calling. I'll use the Be, Do, Go framework from my book, More. More was written to give people a simple framework for pursuing their calling. Each person we interview on the Find Your Calling podcast will give us a unique glimpse into the truths of calling and share their perspective on the topic. In this first introductory or pilot episode of the podcast, you have the opportunity to get to know me better and the context for my passion on the topic of calling. Today I'm joined by a close friend, Bobby Harrington. Bobby is the founding pastor of Harpeth Christian Church and of Discipleship.org. Bobby and I have journeyed together for a number of years, and Bobby agreed to interview me so you can have a chance to get to know me. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you, Todd. I have to start by saying it's a real honor to be able to interview you. So to begin with, give us a little bit of background on your journey. Sure. You know, Bobby, I never had a dream or a passion of being involved in vocational ministry. From a very early age, the traits of an engineer kind of came out, and by the time I was 13, I knew I wanted to be a nuclear engineer. I went off to college and got a degree in nuclear engineering, entered the nuclear navy, and had a great career there. I entered an early midlife season when I was about 33 years old. I had a couple of year wrestling match with God just on what my future was going to look like through a whole series of events. I ended up deciding to leave the marketplace and enter ministry, which for me was a huge step. My first role was at New Life Christian Church as the executive pastor. What happened for me was once I went into ministry, you know, I'd say an entrepreneurial switch went off. It was kind of backwards from what you would think. And over the course of about my first 10 years in full-time vocational ministry, I really was more like a serial entrepreneur. Started a marketing ministry, started a project management ministry, started a thing called Exponential, which is where I spend most of my time now. Along the way in that journey, a guy named Bob Buford who was the founder of Leadership Network and Halftime and had written a book called Halftime, which really captures the language for people in mid-career, people who've been climbing the corporate ladder and, and then find themselves asking questions, isn't there something more? Isn't there more for the rest of my life? And you know, it was Bob's book I had picked up when I was 33 years old and really had an impact on me. So once I entered full-time vocational ministry, ended up getting connected with Bob Buford, who now, for about the past decade, has been a close friend and mentor. That's really my journey to where I'm at today. Well, it's such an interesting story. There are not very many people who move from being a nuclear engineer, then they go into ministry, and then coming through their experiences in ministry, find a real joy in helping other people to find their unique personal calling. It's like this underlying passion that really influences you. So tell us a little bit more about that passion and how it developed. Always embedded in our stories, we can look to the past and see clues that that lead us to where we are today. And I think just that journey, wrestling match from the marketplace into vocational ministry, I had to wrestle with my own calling. I had to put to death a lot of issues, issues of money, issues of kind of promotions. So there was an issue of discovery there in my own calling that just was part of taking that step. One of the more profound things that happened for me, Bob Buford that I mentioned, who's a mentor, when Bob was asking me to work with him, he he was wanting me to work with him about 20% of my time. And I remember the day that Bob said to me, Todd, I want you to spend just 20% of your time with me, but I want you to be 100% in your sweet spot. 
simultaneously like three things just went right deep to my soul. The first was, yes, I can't believe it, a position that's 100% in my sweet spots. And then immediately that was followed in, in my mind with a question of, well, how would I know? How would I even know if I'm 100% in my sweet spot? That led to a third question, which was like, good grief, why am I getting so excited about spending 20% of my time in my sweet spot? That simple question really put me on a path to saying, well, what is the sweet spot of calling? I ended up doing a life planning process with a master life planner named Pete Richardson. I didn't really think I needed life planning when I went, but the process was just transformational in my thinking and helped me create a filter for what I would say yes to, what I would say no to, all based on my gifting, my motivations, my passions, my strengths, my weaknesses, my burdens. That really started me down the path just from my own journey of, of, wow, there is so much latent capacity, especially within the body of Christ in the United States, that's sort of pent up waiting to be released. And so about five years ago, God said to me, right. I mean, that's just what I was hearing from God was, was right. And my first question was, well, right what? And pretty deep at that point was a conviction that in order to mobilize this latent capacity that's uh, pent up in the church, we're going to have to not just have professional ministers and pastors, but it, we've got to mobilize the whole priesthood of believers. It isn't just some people that Jesus equips with, with special gifts. It's everyone. He gives everyone special gifts to be used on his mission and for his glory. So that's really what spawned the, the passion that I'm still feeling today. Todd, you just described how you had a sense that God wanted you to write. Tell us, if you would, a little bit more about where were you and what was that like, and then I'd like you to describe how that led you to actually write the book called More. Well, I am not a particularly charismatic person. A little over five years ago, I was sitting in the second row of Bill Hybels' Leadership Summit at Willow Creek Church, and in the middle of worship, God just took me to my knees basically with the words, are you ready? I had been in a season of prayer and reflection at the time, and the answer was yes. Bill Hybels came up on the stage to do his talk. He held up a new book called Whispers that he had written, and he started his talk off by, I found in my life that God and the Holy Spirit often talk to me in short fragments of a sentence or sentences. Are you ready? Three words. Wow, God is speaking to me right now. And he just said, right. That led to the, well, write what? And honestly, Bobby, I am very cynical about writing. I had done life planning probably at the time with 20 or 25 people. Most people who come into life planning on their unfulfilled dreams want to write a book. I usually try to talk people off that ledge and talk them out of writing books. So for God to say to me, write, I actually didn't embrace that it was a book to begin with. I thought, well, maybe... Maybe I could start a blog. And once I came to grips with, no, I think it's a book, even then, I approached a couple of other people with the idea, well, maybe I'll write a book on calling as a ghostwriter and let them put their name on it. You know, I'll, I'll do the writing and give it to someone else. That, that's how cynical I was about the writing process. It just turned out that God really was wanting me to write a book on calling. And so I spent about five years on that on that process. So you take five years to write this book. Todd, I know you very well. You are a voracious 
thinker, processor. Tell us about five years to write this book. The first thing I did, not being a writer, was say, well, I need to connect with several writers who have done a lot of writing. I need to figure out what's the rhythm for writing. How do you do it? I picked a couple of prominent authors and asked if I could meet with them just to talk about the process. One of those authors was Oz Guinness. I consider Oz to be one of the greatest Christian thinkers of our time. Certainly has, if not the best book on calling that's been written in the last 20 years. It's it's in the top couple of books. So I just had great respect for him. I got together with Oz right at the beginning of the writing process. Uh, we sat down for lunch. I wanted to get his rhythm. I said, what's the rhythm for writing a book? And he said, well, actually, I'm starting my next book today, and I'll turn it in a month from today. So in 30 days, he's going to write a book. And it about killed me. I mean, there's no way I'm going to write a book in 30 days. I've never done it. But the most important thing that happened at that lunch meeting is at the very beginning of the conversation, Oz looked across the table at me and said, are you just going to write another self-help book here? And it took me back a little bit. I'm like, Oz, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you look at most of what gets written out there on personal calling, it's really just self-help books. It's self-fulfillment. It's help people feel better about themselves and not necessarily a Christian biblical view. Because of that, I had to slow down a little bit. I needed to really go do more of the research you're talking about. I got every book and resource I could from the web, from Amazon, on calling. I probably reviewed 40-plus different books and resources and outlined them and, and really looked at historical documents back to some of the early reformers. And so just the process took five years. During that time period, part of what just has been such a blessing to me, the people that have been in my life informing this book, I mean, Bob Buford as a you know front row mentor, Dr. Robert Coleman, the author of The Master Plan of Evangelism. Dr. Coleman has just significantly spoken into this book. In fact, he's one of the people doing the forewords. I'd say the discipleship community, several key people have spoken into this so that at the core of this book is discipleship. Discipleship.org that you run, Bobby, has a book series, so this book's positioned within a discipleship series. Wow. The book is titled More. Help us understand why you chose that title, Well, it's interesting. I would say one of the core verses for the book is John 10.10, when Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, or some versions say, and take hold of it more abundantly. You've got Jesus' promise, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So I dove into understanding the difference between having life and taking hold of it more abundantly. And the picture image that emerged for me is is sort of out of marriage. Two people can walk down the aisle, say their I do, sign a piece of paper, and have a marriage. But as you know, having a marriage is completely different than taking hold of a solid, intimate, long-term relationship in marriage. And so that became the picture image for the book, was that difference between people settling for just having life versus taking hold of it more abundantly. I think we have an epidemic of restlessness and discontent. I think most people yearn for that promise of abundant life, but they're captive and stuck to just life. On top of that, I think Satan is so good at playing tricks on our minds. He whispers lies into our minds that can keep us captive to just experiencing life rather than taking hold of abundant life. You know, as an example, it's the lie of retirement. If you say, where is the biblical basis of retirement? 
Well, so many people out there today, you know, they just are held captive to something less than abundant life for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years with the idea that when I get to retirement, then I'll have margin, then I can do something more meaningful and purposeful. And I just don't see the biblical basis for that. The title more, the idea of living life to the fullest measure, having more than just life, but uh, abundant life is where the title came from. You just made a, a really important statement, and that is that there's an abundant life that God intends for us, and it's directly tied to engaging in our calling. If you would, help define calling. Bible clearly talks about calling. Most of the time, the Bible talks about us being called to God, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I would say about calling. Calling is God's longing to be in an eternal relationship with us as his children. Calling is God's sacred whisper that draws us to himself and his mission on the earth and his plans for eternity. I think calling is God's invitation and unique equipping to simultaneously have the fullness of Jesus in me, but then also to channel that fullness through me to others. I think I'm called first to become in a relationship with him and then to do in acts of service to the world. So in the core essence of calling, I think we see two parts. I think first, we're all drawn to Jesus and to becoming more like him. And then second, to go and introduce that fullness to other people. I think my primary calling, or all of our primary callings, shared by all Christians everywhere all the time, is to have a relationship with Jesus. I think our secondary calling is what makes us unique. And our secondary calling is to be a good steward of the unique equipping that Jesus gives us so that we can play our unique part in his mission for the church on earth. Help me connect that sense of the unique equipping of God with the abundant life that God intends for me to have. I think where we've got to be careful is it can be our human tendency to want to pursue our personal calling, to find our personal calling, so we can be more self-fulfilled, so we can have more joy. So, you know, there's a, there can be a self-centeredness in it. I think the first thing we've got to understand about calling is we've got to have proper motives. The God of the universe, the God that made us, the God who saw every aspect of who we are before we were ever knit together in our mother's womb, that same God wants to have a relationship with us and then equips us uniquely to be a part of his family and play a role in the mission that he has. All of that, the motive that we ought to have for discovering our calling and engaging our calling is not a motive of us feeling better about things. It's a motive of, of being a steward of what God gives us. Now, I think the good news for us is if we'll focus on God in that, if we'll trust the promise that he's uniquely made us, he's uniquely given, a, you know, given us gifts to use, that if we're a steward of doing that, it bridges the gap between having life and having it more abundantly. That's part of the equation. When we, for the right motives, take hold of stewarding the unique gifts he's given us so we can overflow the fullness of Jesus to other people, we're simultaneously using our giftedness, but we're honoring him in what we're doing. That's where the first part of the answer I'd give you. The second part is probably a little bit more the human side of it. 
if you're wired to be a teacher, and if God's gifted you with the, the ability to speak and communicate and get concepts across to other people, well, it just doesn't make sense that you would land in, in across all the domains of life in positions and roles and callings where you wouldn't be using that special, unique gifting. It's a little easier to see the opposite of abundant life. You know, if you're put into a position where you're not using your unique giftedness, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel frustrated. Your joy is going to be drained. Think about the opposite. What's it look like if you're in the sweet spot of your calling? What if what, what if you're, you know, 100% of the time you're just in the sweet spot of using who God made you to be? That just, I believe, moves us more toward the, the abundant living that Jesus promises. It's not about pursuing personal fulfillment for personal fulfillment's sake. What I hear you saying is it's about God. It's about being who God made you to be. It's about doing what God made you to do and focusing and fully maximizing who he made you to be. And in the process, because that's how you were designed, you're going to experience the best life possible honoring and serving him. That's right. But in the process of writing the book, you've actually carved out some unique distinctives for the way that calling is described and framed. Help us to understand the way you frame the distinctives. Well, the first would be what we've already talked about, this idea of having the proper motives. I think Oz Guinness is right. So much of what gets written and put out there on calling these days is really self-help. It's not coming at it from the right perspective with the right motives for why we ought to find our calling. So embedded in in the distinctive of the book more is, is we've got to have the right motives. The second thing, I use what I call a simple be-do-go framework in the book, and here's where that comes from. It's, it's two things. I think if you go back to the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, there were at least three things lost in the fall First, man lost his position, physically where he was with God. Man lost his purpose or meaningful work. He had meaningful work serving God. Work became toil. And then he had his design or how God made him to be changed there. You had these three sort of things that were chasms from there. I don't think it's by accident that if you look at three of the most common questions men and women ask today, who am I created to be? What am I made to do? And where am I supposed to do it? All three of those questions, I think that the chasm that was created in the garden produced those questions. Let me put my engineer hat back on. If you go look in nature at the idea of a sweet spot, God created thousands of sweet spots in nature. Rooms have acoustic sweet spots. Baseball bats have sweet spots. Gun scopes have sweet spots. There's literally thousands. So you might ask the question, Well, if God made most everything with a sweet spot, did he make man with a sweet spot? And if he did, what would those elements be? Well, if you go look at the thousands of sweet spots in nature, every sweet spot in nature shares three characteristics. A design, a purpose, and a position. The same three elements that man lost in the Garden of Eden. What I've done in the book more is try to have this simple framework Who am I created to be, my identity in God? What am I made to do, and where am I supposed to do it? 
so often the way we raise our kids, go off to college, find the job, I think we skip the B question, who are we created to be? We get so focused on what we want our kids to do based on what they're good at, they skip the B. They go to college, they get equipped to do, and the immediate question they have coming out of college is a go question. Where am I going to fit? It shouldn't be any surprise that as we get kind of that mid-career point, because we've skipped the B, you've got just an entire generation of people that are wondering if this do and go that they've been doing for 20 years is the right one. So we've got to get back to a strong orientation to first understanding who did God uniquely create me to be. Another distinctive in the book is I take the entire roadmap out of the book of Ephesians. And then also, this is not unique to Moore, but I build on it. Historians for quite a while have looked at what is called primary calling and secondary calling. Primary calling is what we hear most in the Bible. Our primary calling is common to all Christians all the time, everywhere. We're, we're a child of God who is to honor God wherever we are. You know, you cover the be, do, go there. With, now, if you want to put it in discipleship terms that you and I are familiar with, our primary calling is to be a disciple, someone that has the fullness of Jesus in them, who makes disciples, that's the do, wherever we are, that's the go. And that's a calling that's shared with all Christians everywhere. Be a disciple who makes disciples where we are. Our secondary calling is our unique equipping. It's what makes us different from all other Christians. When we're told in Ephesians 4 that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, some teachers, it's our Lord himself that gave us the unique gifting that we have. And for what purpose? We're actually told in Ephesians the purpose is for the building up of the saints that we might reach the fullness of Jesus in our lives and in society. So we're given the purpose of the secondary calling is nothing more than supporting the primary calling of being disciples who make disciples where we are. One good way of looking at this is Cotton Mather back, I think in the 1600s, a preacher had a sermon where he did the illustration, the distinction in primary and secondary calling. It's like being in a rowboat with two oars. If we only put one oar in the water, our primary calling, we're going to go in circles. If we only put the secondary calling in the water, we're going to go in circles. We've got to engage both the primary and the secondary uh, calling with both oars in the water. So you've used the book of Ephesians kind of as a roadmap for that. Is there any verse in particular in Ephesians that you would commend to your listeners? I love in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, I think we're given one of the most succinct purposes for the church. Basically, in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, we're told that the purpose of the church is to be the fullness of Jesus into every crack and cranny of society, uh, or in everything in every way is what it says. It's, it's almost like the water in an aquarium that completely fills, covers every nook and cranny, that picture image of the church covering everything into every crack and cranny of society is sort of the, the picture for the church. Now, in today's context, it's easy for us to say, oh, that's, that's not what the church is doing, or that's just not practical. I would actually say to that, what does it have to look like for the church to be like water in an aquarium filling every crack and cranny of society? It is not going to happen by a come to us, by by come listen to the professional pastoral ministers at the church. It has to be a flipping it around that it's every one of us as part of the church are to have the fullness of Jesus in us 
and carry that fullness to others wherever we are. That's right back to our primary calling. So I I think we see our primary calling wrapped up right in the purpose for the church in Ephesians 1. Now you move to Ephesians 2, and you get Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork. We're his unique creation, the be. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, the do, which God prepared in advance for us to walk in, the go. We see the be, do, go right in Ephesians 2.10, especially for our secondary calling. We move on to Ephesians 3, and we're clearly told that this mission to carry the fullness of Jesus into every crack and cranny of society is through the church and in the church. Get to Ephesians 4. It's Jesus himself who gave the equipping, and that it's for what purpose? For building up the saints. And a lot of times we stop there, but if you keep going, it isn't just to build up the body, but it's for the purposes of attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're right back to that fullness of Christ picture. So that's the the reason for Ephesians for me, is it it's so strongly the theme of fullness links back to the John 10.10, 10, the, the gap between having life and having it more abundantly. Tell us a little bit about your own personal calling. Well, I said before, our primary or core calling is shared by all Christians. So I believe that my primary calling is I am a disciple of Jesus, and I'm seeking to have his fullness maturing in me, and then to carry that fullness to other people wherever I might be. That's how I would describe my primary calling. Now, my secondary calling in terms of be, do, go, I'm basically an entrepreneurial engineer who envisages opportunities that have potential for kingdom impact and multiplication. If I put that into be, do, go, my unique be, my secondary calling be, is I just have those characteristics of an entrepreneurial engineer. You see them across all the domains of my life. You can't turn it off. It's at work at work. It's at work at church. It's at work at home. It's at work in the community. So if you just think about the characteristics of an entrepreneurial engineer, that's my sort of unique identity. This idea of envisaging opportunity. To envisage is to create an image or a picture of some future possibility. I am a very futuristic, strategic person. I love going to whiteboards and helping just create pictures, you know, from nothing on a whiteboard to a picture of how something can be. My unique do is to create those images or pictures for people to help them see what could be where there's not something there now. And my unique go or my unique position is really anywhere that there's significant potential for kingdom impact or multiplication. I am just wired naturally for sort of an exponential upward curve of results and impact. Todd, you're also starting a brand new podcast to help people find their calling. So tell us why you're doing that and what you hope it results in. Right. In this next season for me, I basically, within the personal calling space, am trying to do what I'm doing in the exponential space with church planting, which is create aggregated resources that are not competing with other resource providers, but are helping bring this message of personal calling within a simple framework, the Be Do Go framework, to really help equip and mobilize the priesthood of all believers. The book more was to give some vocabulary to it, But now within the platform of what I'm going to do, I want to feature and highlight and unpack as many different resources on calling as possible. One of those things is a new podcast. So my intent is every week to interview 
someone, you know, these first few weeks, Oz Guinness that I talked about, Oz is going to be on the podcast, Francis Chan on the podcast, Jenny Catron, Ron Edmondson. You know, I've just got a long list of leaders who are going to come on and they're going to talk about their own calling. They're going to talk about what they see in other people, what they see the elements, how they coach other people. And then we're going to have a whole lot of everyday Christians that you haven't heard of on this podcast, too, who are right in the middle of finding and being mobilized on their calling. So my hope and dream for the podcast is simply to help provide encouragement and inspiration and some amount of how-to to people that are looking to discover their calling. Well, Todd, I just want to thank you. It's a distinct privilege of mine. I can see so many avenues where this podcast and the book More will have such a huge impact in helping people who are living lives that lack the power of purpose and direction and that sense of God's calling. So I pray for and uh, wish God's best on you on this podcast and on your ventures. Well, thank you, Bobby, and I thank you for taking the time to do this interview. 